Amen. Thank you very much, uh, worship team. Uh, you all sound beautiful uh, this morning. Uh, frequently, uh, on the last song before of my message, I'll just take a minute, have a moment with God, ask God to fill me with his words, to hear uh, his church sing, um, and uh, it just encourages me. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing to hear uh, God's church sing and praise him, praise his son, um, the name of Christ in which we all can stand firmly on. So last week, uh, we started off uh, our uh, sermon with some great quotes about uh, the Bible, as I love a good quote, um, but just as much as I love a good quote, I love a very telling and informative graph or chart, because God made me uh, as a numbers guy. I love numbers. I like digesting uh, different surveys, charts, graphs. I'm just a numbers guy. Uh, and what a great profession uh, to go into in the ministry, where you use numbers uh, very little. Um, uh, but uh, we're going to use numbers this morning. i got to incorporate it one way or another. So, Ben, if you have, uh, we're going to take a look at one chart and one graph this morning. If you have uh, the first graph here, yes, uh, sorry the print is small, but it reads, What is your religious preference, Protestant, Roman Catholic, Jewish, another religion, or no religion. And so this graph here that you see behind me, they are measuring whether people identify themselves as a Protestant. A Protestant um, is basically a Christian who isn't Catholic. Uh, that's a good way to sum it up. We, we would fall in line uh, with that Protestant uh, group there, or later on uh, they have a uh, Christian nonspecific. Um, but, so they're measuring how people identify themselves uh, religiously, and they surveyed, uh, this, is, this survey was done by Gallup, Gallup, a, a big uh, survey industry uh, which do studies in a number of different areas of life, and they have a handful of different studies, graphs, charts um, on religion on church and so forth. And so in this graph behind us, we see uh, on the y-axis there, it measures the percent of people and how they responded. Um, the x-axis, that's the year. Um, and so the first year that they did this uh, survey was in 1948, and they did it every year from 1948 uh, to 2020, so just last year. Um, and they surveyed 1,000 Americans, so not a huge uh, sample size, but uh, it's adequate. We, we, we get a pretty good idea of how America as a whole would respond. And so when I take a look at this graph, there's a couple of things that jump out to me. Number one, I see that that blue line is way larger. It's way bigger than any other um, line up there. And that represents the Protestant uh, group. So most people, or at least more, more than the other groups, uh, people would uh, identify themselves as a Protestant Christian. We see, and it's kind of hard to see in the numbers, but to give you an idea, in the year 1948, so the very first line over there on the left, 69% uh, of people in America identified themselves as a Protestant Christian. That's a lot of people. That's more than two-thirds of people if you are to go around uh, the, the nation in 1948. Uh, and then the next line there, the black line, that represents the Catholic Church. And 22% of people in the year 1948 identified themselves as a Catholic. 
And then 2% identified them uh, that they were not religious in 1948. Um, but in total, in 1948, in, in America, the nation of America, 91% of Americans identified themselves as a Christian, whether Protestant or Catholic. That's not really our focus this morning. But 91% of people in America in the year 1948 identified themselves as a Christian. I mean, I knew uh, that that number was going to be high, but that was a lot higher than even I uh, was anticipating. More than nine out of every 10 people. As America, in in a legal sense, a technical sense, we are not a a Christian nation, but if you look back in 1948, uh, that's pretty much uh, disregarding the technicalities, disregarding uh, the legality of it. That's a Christian nation, basically. 91% of people claiming, identifying, to be a Christian. But now when I take a look, and as time goes by, it starts in 1948, the the last uh, date there on the very right is 2020, and I notice that that blue line, it continues to go down and down and down and down. Or I guess the chart's the other way, down and down and down and down. And that's alarming to me. That, That tells me that more and more people every year, they are not identifying themselves as a Protestant Christian. And so in the year 2020, just last year, 37% of Americans identified themselves as a Protestant Christian. 22% identified themselves as a Catholic Christian, uh, which I found interesting. That's the same exact percentage as in 1948. You'll, You'll notice that black line, the Catholic line, it's pretty stagnant. You know, they're, they're not really growing, but they're not really uh, decreasing in percentage. And then 9%, uh, they're Christian, but not specified. And then 20% are non-religious, a number that's 10 times greater than in 1948. But yet, still, in the year 2020, 68% of Americans identify themselves as a Christian. I would have guessed that, yeah, the number would have been uh, smaller than it was in 1948. Um, I would have guessed that number would have been what it was in 1948, about. I would, I would have guessed that about 68% of people in America in 1948 uh, would have identified themselves as Christian. But that's what we see just last year. So according to the survey, on average, about two-thirds of every person that you see, whether at the grocery store, at school, at work, friends, family, whatever it may be, on average, every two out of three people you see out there is going to identify themselves as a Christian. That's incredible. That's more people than I would have, had, have anticipated. Raise your hand if that's more than you would have anticipated. Raise your hand if that's about what you would have anticipated. Okay, we we got some smart cookies, smarter than I, and and raise your hand if that's less than you were anticipating. Anybody real optimistic out there? Uh, No, we're we're not a real optimistic uh, group out there, I guess. Um, But yeah, I I found that, I find uh, this, uh, this graph to be encouraging. I was encouraged, even though I find it a grave danger that it's shrunk um, and it looks like that trend is going uh, to continue. I find that alarming. I find that discouraging, but yet still 68%. That is still by far the majority of people in America would identify themselves as a Christian. So that's graph number one. But if you'd flip to uh, the second, uh, yeah, the chart here. So here, this is studying, uh, I, I know it's small to see, so I'm going to read it. 
The, the question is, how often do you attend church or synagogue? At least once a week, almost every week, about once a month, seldom or never. And so this survey was conducted in the year 2020. And so uh, it progresses from uh, the most amount of times that you attend church to the least amount. The last question or the last uh, chart there, bar is no opinion. But when we take a look at uh, that chart there, uh, there's a couple of things that jump out to me. Number one is that the biggest bar represents never. So if you were to ask this question to a stranger on the street, more of them would answer that they never attend church over seldomly uh, uh, attending once a month, uh, almost once a week, or every week. That alarms me. That, 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 uh, that doesn't seem to correlate with our first graph there. That's the, the largest bar there. The second biggest line is seldom. So the second most common answer to the question of how often do you attend church in the year 2020 in America is seldom. That's alarming as well. And so when you combine those uh, two bars, 54% of Americans, according to the survey conducted last year, never or seldom attend church. That would be more than half of the people that you ask out in the street, out at the grocery store, your school, job, whatever it may be. Half, more than half the people that, uh, that are around you, around your lives, and, and the secular world, more than half of them do not attend church on a regular basis. In fact, 54% of them go never or seldomly. They, they might be the Easter group or the Christmas group and uh, see you next year. Um, uh, that's disheartening uh, for me to read. We see that only 33% of Americans attend at least weekly or almost weekly, and then 11% attend about once a month. So when I take a look at this chart, I realize that only about a third of Americans attend church on a regular basis. And so when I study the, the, the first graph in this first chart side by side, I see a glaring issue. I mean, a glaring issue. And that glaring issue is that last year, 68% of a people in America identified themselves as Christian, but only 33% of people in America attend church on a regular basis. That's less than half the number of Christians. So less than half the people who claim to be Christian, less than half of them attend church on a regular basis. I find that to be a glaring issue. Um, if you don't find that uh, to be a uh, glaring issue, um, well, I guess we'll, we'll discuss why, why it's important, why this issue is glaring, why we need to address this, is this issue, because it pains me. It pains me to realize that most people who identify themselves as a Christian, at least in America, do not attend church on a regular basis. And so I want you guys to keep this, this graph and this chart in mind as uh, we continue, as we go along in our series talking about being a member of God's church. As the first week when we started this series, we talked about what exactly God's church is. God's church is just the group of people who belong to God. We took a look at the history and the future. And then, we, then the rest of the series, we're kind of taking a look at the expectations of being a part of God's church. So if you want to be a part of the group of people that partake in God's kingdom, 
there's some expectations, just like any other membership. In the past two weeks, we took, we took a look at the first two expectations. The first expectation that we took a look at is we need to pray daily. Paul tells us that we need to pray without ceasing. There can't be an end to our prayer life. No, we don't need to pray 24-7 every second of our day. That's not what Paul means when uh, we pray uh, without ceasing. But there's no end to it. We pray daily. We pray constantly. And then last week, we talked about reading our Bibles on a regular basis as well, hopefully a daily basis, as we need to be digging into his word. And so today, as we continue this discussion on the expectations of being a member of God's church We're going to take a look at uh, the theme of faithful attendance, faithful attendance to God's church. So when we look throughout uh, the Bible, we can see that God's people, the group of people that belong to God, God's church, they faithfully attended as a community. They had their highs and they had their lows. They had their times where they were really faithful in attending. And then, of course, they had a handful of times where they were not faithful at all. And, and attending a community. And that's when they really went downhill and they were overcome by the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, and so forth. But it, as a whole, the church in the Old Testament, the group of people that belonged to God in the Old Testament, they gathered together as a community. In the book of Exodus, as uh, Moses is leading the people out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land, God is frequently talking with Moses, uh, delivering the law. And as he's delivering the law and the instructions to the Israelites, God reveals to Moses instructions to build a tabernacle. And now this tabernacle, what the idea of it, it was kind of like a portable temple. Because these Israelites, they were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, and so they couldn't build a church building like this, set it in one place, because they were constantly moving around. So they made it out of curtains, which I find pretty fascinating. And so they built this tabernacle. Whenever the the nation of Israel would go from place to place in the wilderness, they'd set up their camp in like a cross. And at the middle of the cross, at the middle uh, of their campus, basically, uh, their, their settlement, they placed the tabernacle. That was the center of their establishment, wherever they went in the wilderness, as it represented uh, figuratively the location was at the center uh, of uh, Israel's nation, but also represented that it needed to be of the center of their lives as well, as it literally was in the center of their establishment whenever they moved from place to place. And then after hundreds of years after uh, God dwelling in the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle, uh, David wanted to build a temple, a permanent building like this made out of bricks and stone, whatever it may be. Um, But ultimately, David's son Solomon built that temple. And so for uh, quite a while, the Israelites, they worshiped God in the temple, the temple in in the city of Jerusalem. And that's where the people, that's where the community gathered together to worship God, to read his word, to study his word. I find it amazing on a number of different occasions throughout the Old Testament. It reads that the whole nation of Israel gathered either at the tabernacle or the temple. And I think of uh, like Ezra and Nehemiah, they gathered the whole, uh, the whole assembly after the exile. They all assembled towards the temple and they all read the book of the law. That, that's a beautiful image to me. I mean, can you just imagine the whole nation of America assembling in D.C., Washington, D.C., to read God's word? That would be incredible. That would be an incredible image. 
And that wasn't necessarily an uncommon practice back then. As they gathered together as one community before God in front of the tabernacle or later on in front of the temple. Now, when we take a look at the picture of the New Testament, things were a little different. As when Jesus, when he was crucified, that curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And from the most holy of holies, where, where God presided, where he resided. But now, now that the curtain was torn from top to bottom, God's presence was everywhere. We could approach God directly without having to go in the most holy of holies, where only the high priest could go once a year. And so it was a drastically different picture in the New Testament. But yet, God's people, God's church, they still faithfully came together as a community to worship God and to to further uh, example their lives as disciples of Jesus. And we can read about this in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts is a great book as it shows us how the disciples um, responded after Jesus was crucified, after he was ascended to the heavens. And so in Acts chapter 2, kind of what a lot of people view as the start, the establishment of God's church, we see what their church really looked like. And so in Acts chapter 2, verses, starting in verse 42, we read, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that's a beautiful picture of what the early church looked like in the book of Acts. Just after Jesus ascended into the heaven, the, the, the people they gathered together at the day of Pentecost, and after that, they established, you know, kind of the official church, and we see what it looks like. They devoted themselves to the teachings. They're constantly looking at the teachings of the apostles, the people whom Jesus di- taught directly. That would be incredible. That would be incredible to witness. They, they performed many wonders and signs together as a group. They, they sold their possessions together as a group. They belonged together. They distributed their goods to all as any had any need. And day by day, that's what I really want to focus on, day by day, they attended the temple together. Day by day. And then that last section there, day by day, God, the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. That would be awesome to be a part of a group of people who met day by day. And when they met day by day, they broke bread together. They spent time learning more about God and his son Jesus through the teachings of the apostles. And I'm sure they read the scriptures in the Old Testament as well. As they spent time together as one community day by day, they distributed their goods to those who had need. And day by day, the Lord added to those who were being saved. Man, man, I would love to be a part of a group like that. To be honest, 
this early church kind of puts uh, the church in America uh, to shame. Uh, we see through uh, the, the different chart and, and graphs that uh, more than two-thirds of people identify themselves as a Christian, but only less than half of those people will gather weekly. And not talking about daily, but weekly. And more than half of America, or more than half of Christians in America today, they aren't attending church regularly at all. And man, this church in Acts, it puts us to shame. It puts me to shame. It puts us all to shame as they met day by day. And so this tells me that today church is becoming less and less of a priority. We see that throughout time, throughout time, ever since the beginning of the establishment and, and, and the church and Acts, it's become less and less of a priority in our lives. The early church, they met daily. We see that in America just 70 years ago, that there are way many more Christians, at least the, the percentage. There's way more people. You're surrounded by more Christians. That number is decreasing and decreasing. People aren't really attending church um, anymore. And so we ask, what's the issue? What's different? What's different from us today here? What's different from the church of America in the year 2020 from the church in Acts, the early church? And to me, I see that it's a lack of priority. I see that it's a lack of priority. For many Americans, and I realize this morning that I'm preaching to the choir uh, this year. It, it may sound like I'm preaching at you, but we're, we're talking together. We're, we're having a conversation this morning. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. And, and we'll get uh, later down the line, we'll get into where we come into this picture. But overall, the church in America, it lacks a priority. For many Americans, they no longer have that priority to gather together as a church. They find sports to be more important. They find schoolwork to be more important. They find sleeping in to be more important. They, they find family time to be more important. And more and more, we have more and more excuses today. Year by year, we have more and more excuses to fill our schedules. And no longer is, is church a priority in the overall church in America. And to me, this shines a big light on the bigger issue of idolatry. I think it all comes back to the big issue of idolatry. Idolatry is where we put anything before God. And so the church in America, we're putting sports before God, we're putting schoolwork before God, we're putting sleeping in, our sleep schedule before God, family time before God. We have many idols. We can, make, we can make an idol out of anything. It doesn't have to be a statue. We, we think of idolatry in the Old Testament, especially, you know, worshiping these different, you know, figures, these different idols. But today we can make an idol out of anything. Whenever we put something before God, that's an idol in our lives. And we all struggle with idolatry from time to time where we take these good things we take good things like school, like friends, jobs, family, money, success, um, sex, anything. All these good things, we try to make them the ultimate things in our lives. And when we make these good things the ultimate things, we are making an idol in our life. And to me, the lack of attendance uh, in, in, uh, in church in America, that shines a light to me that, that we are struggling with idolatry. The church in America is struggling with idolatry. But let me tell you, let me encourage you this morning, this is nothing new. I would argue that that was the biggest issue that the Israelites struggled with in the Old Testament was idolatry. 
They were constantly putting other things above God. Solomon says in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Idolatry is not a new issue in the year 2020. It's been around ever since man has fallen into the temptation of sin. And so we need to reprioritize our life. The church in America needs to reprioritize our life and put God first and foremost. As when people neglect to faithfully attend church, that signals to me, that tells me that we are making an idol out of these different things. But why is church important? Other than the fact that when we aren't faithfully attending, it's a good sign that we have uh, idolatry within our life. Other than that, why is it so important for us to be faithfully attending God's church? I always like to answer the why. We need to start with the why. Well, here we didn't start with the why, but we're going to end here with the why. Why is it so important to focus on faithfully attending church? Before we answer that question, I want us to all be aware that attending church is not the end all be all. We see through the numbers that a lot of people who claim to be a Christian, they struggle to attend church, so they fail to see the importance of church. But I may make a point that some people... They make church, uh, they prioritize church too much. The the church is end all, be all in their life. Church does not save us. Going to church every Sunday, that does not save us. Nothing we can do can save us. We are saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. Now, we accept that grace through a living and active faith, and one can make the very strong point that, hey, do you have a living and active faith if you're not making a commitment to faithfully attend And I'll just say that that's a a very valid argument to make. But I want us all to be aware this morning that attending church is not the end all be all. It is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of being a part of a community in which we can continue to grow closer to God and expand his kingdom. But as we talk about the importance of church, it's not the end all be all, but yet it is still extremely, extremely important. And I would argue that the writers uh, of the Bible, they, they understood the importance as well. As we take a look in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews writes, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so the writer of Hebrews, he or she recognized the danger of getting out of the habit of meeting together as God's church. Man, let me tell you, this hits home with the church in America. This hits home with the church of the world. As a lot of us, we had to temporarily, we had to temporarily stop meeting together. And we saw the dangers that it brings about. I mean, uh, Barna's done studies on this that to, to show church attendance pre-COVID versus after COVID, post-COVID, and the numbers are staggering. It's dangerous when we get out of the habit of meeting with one another. And so here the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect it. Don't neglect meeting with one another as a church, as is the habit of some. So again, nothing is new under the sun. We see that 2,000 years ago, they struggled with this as well. That some neglected to meet together as a church, and they got into the habit of not faithfully attending. And let me tell you, habits can be extremely powerful, or they can be extremely 
harmful within our lives. And so when we take a look at the benefits of church, we see that when we gather together faithfully, faithfully attend church, we see that we provide teachings with one another. We see that we can learn from one another. We see that we are able to love on one another as a family. And we're able to worship God together, our creator, our savior, our, our Lord. We see that we, that we come together and we can encourage one another. We spur one another on. As we all need to be stirred, spurred on from time to time. We can lean on one another during the hard times, or the times of tribulation, during the, the, the trials that we experience in our lives. When we come together faithfully, we can rejoice with one another in times of joy that we have in our life. We serve one another. We honor one another. And again, we worship God together as one family, one body, one church. There are so many benefits of the church. So many benefits. This is nothing new. The people throughout all of God's church, throughout all uh, of time of God's group of people, they met together as a, as a family, as a church, as a group of people. And Jesus, Paul, and the others throughout the scriptures, they encouraged us to come together as one I'm reminded of Jesus' high priestly prayer, and he prays for you and I. He prays that we may be one just as God and Jesus are one. And we can't be one if we aren't coming back together, faithfully attending church with one another, faithfully attending God's group of people. So what now? What now? First off, we know that the church attendance has been on decline for some time now. We know church attendance is important. We see the benefits of attending church as there are many benefits, many benefits that we could talk for a long time. We, we could spend weeks and months and years talking about the benefits of the church. Well, now we have two steps. Number one, we have to faithfully attend ourselves. And let me tell you, I'm preaching to the choir here this morning. You guys are here because you guys faithfully attend God's church. And so we, we all, we've nailed this first step. We need to continue to faithfully attend God's church ourselves. But then step number two, we need to be encouraging. We need to be inviting our friends and family to faithfully attend God's church as well. As more than half of the Christians in America, they do not attend church on a regular basis. And we have a calling. We have a responsibility to invite our friends, our family, to encourage them, to share them the importance of church, the benefits of attending God's church faithfully. As we're commanded to do it through his word, we are commanded not to neglect to meet with one another. This is an expectation of being a part of God's church. We show we have a living and active faith in God. One way we can do that is by faithfully attending his church. And when we do that, when we show that we have a living and active faith in God, then we're all aware that we have a promise of the coming kingdom. The promise where everything wrong with this world is going to be made right. A promise that we can put our hope in today because nearly 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus died for the sins of the world. And in a moment, we'll, uh, 
Remember communion this morning as Ben will uh, pass out uh, the emblems, the bread and the cup. And we, if we are members of God's church, we have this great hope, and this great hope all hinges on the fact that Jesus died for you and I. And so this moment when we remember communion, it has the utmost importance, as without the sacrifice, the church would have no hope. We would have no hope if it weren't for the sacrifice, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so as Ben is handing out uh, the communion there, on the Last Supper, Jesus, he gathered with his disciples just the night before he was crucified, and he took the bread and he said, this bread represents my body, which is about to be broken for each and every one of you. So when we partake of this bread, it represents the body of Jesus being broken for each and every one of us this morning so that we can have a hope in his coming kingdom. And so as Ben continues to hand out the communion, we'll go ahead and we'll pray over the bread. If you'll bow with me. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We worship you. We serve you. We thank you for the hope in your coming kingdom that is only made possible through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we can recognize communion for all that it is, recognize the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, for all that it is. Father, we thank you for your body being broken for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. So as you open the top there, This bread represents the body of Jesus. Let's partake together as the church. Same night Jesus took the bread, he also took the cup. He said, this cup represents the blood of me which is about to be poured out for all of you. So this cup that we partake today in the year 2021, it represents the blood of Jesus being spilt on the cross for the sins of you and I so that we can put our hope, we the church can put our hope in God's coming kingdom. Let's pray over the cup. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the blood that was spilt by your son. Father, we thank you for sending your son to the cross. Father, I pray that each and every one of us can recognize the sacrifice, this true act of love, this genuine, ultimate act of love and grace and mercy. And Father, I pray that we together as a church, we can come together as one body, one church, and recognize the sacrifice and put our hope in your coming kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's partake together. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father, we love you. Father, I thank you for this church. Father, I pray that we are encouraged to attend faithfully, to come together as one church. Father, I pray that we can see the benefits of your church. Father, I pray that, that you encourage us, that you drive us to have a determination to bring our friends and family to attend your church as well.
Father, I pray that we put all the idols away, that we put you first and foremost in our life as you have done so much for each and every one of us by laying your son down for us. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray, amen.